attention to the screen. Well, we are in our final sermon for our series of Blowing Water. Are you ready? Let's welcome Pastor Ellison. So Ellison started us off. Ellison curated this sermon series, and Ellison will now finish. Can we pray for you? Yes, please. Father, we thank you for Ellison, and we thank you for his humility and for his prayerful approach to your throne room. I pray, Father God, now as he releases this word, that our hearts would be open to receive truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Carla. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys. um, We're celebrating my son's third birthday at home today, so this morning there was a lot of uh, bubbles and balloons and everything. Yeah, so it's been a good morning so far. Isaiah turned three. Yes, so we're very tired but very glad to be here this morning. But it has, it's it's been a great honor to journey with you through this summer over this sermon series and our hope that it has led to you having better conversations with the people around you, especially conversations about Jesus. The hope is that you've been reminded and inspired to know that a good conversation can be life-giving, can even be life-changing, especially if it's centered upon who Jesus is. And so we hope that this is an ongoing thing that you'll take with you as you go about. But this series, you know, we have, like um, Carla says, it's been called Blowing Water as a play on the idea of having conversations and you know, with chit-chatting with the people around you. But actually, the term choso, right, to blow water, can actually also mean something else, right? Because it can actually also mean to sort of tell a little bit of a lie, right? To exaggerate the story a little bit, to um, embellish the truth. Now, that's a weird word, though, truth. It's such a problematic word, right? What is truth? How would you define truth? Right, this is an answer that, this is a question that people have been attempting to answer for many, many years in many, many different ways. Right, so one area where you might be able to find truth is in the area of mathematics, right? Okay, don't switch off, okay? One plus one equals two. Simple mathematic, we've all learned this in school. Simple arithmetic, even a toddler can figure out one plus one is two. Now, you see it on the screen, you know it, but is it really true? Does one plus one always equal two? Are there times when one plus one does not equal two? So for example, let's say I had one glass of water. I had another glass of water. So two cups of water, but if I poured them into one cup, then one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one somehow became one again. All right, so maybe math doesn't always give us the truth. How about logical statements, right? Those of you who studied a bit of logic at university or in high school, something like that, right? One of the things that people say is that statements that are true should lead to a true conclusion. For example, some Hong Kongers are women. 
刘德华 Andy Lau is a Hong Konger. Therefore, Lau Dakwa is a woman, right? No, I don't think so. Right, that's not true either. Side note, by the way, I have a very interesting encounter with Andy Lau. If you guys ever want to hear about that, take me out for coffee. I'll tell you all about it. Very interesting. Okay, but okay, you can see it's actually you know it it just creates more confusion. Okay, if we just put theory aside, you know, all these are just theories and mathematics. You know, you guys just started school. You don't want to talk about that yet. What about things that really have an impact on our life? Like, for example, for me growing up, there were few things, three things, my grandma and my mom always drilled into my mind, and they swore they were true. Okay, you might be able to relate. Okay, they told me these three things. Number one, if you sleep with a fan blowing in your face, you will suffocate and you will die. Okay, so don't turn the fan on when you're sleeping. Okay, all the time. Number two. Every piece of rice that you left uneaten will become a scar on your future spouse's face, right? Which hold out paper, right? So if you don't finish your rice, you're going to have an ugly wife. Okay, that was the other thing. Okay. Thirdly, don't drink cold water, even if it's super hot outside. Do not drink cold water. Cold water is like the worst thing for you. If you drink cold water, well, Caleb's agreeing. Okay. If you drink cold water, you will die. Okay. So like. All these things to try and control, to try and you know, um, tell me. Needless to say, my childhood was spent very full, but very hot and very thirsty all the time. Okay, so here's the truth, right? Because it's such an elusive thing that we want to try and grab it, we want to try and understand it, but we can't use our logic, we can't trust mathematics, we can't even trust the people who love us. So what is? How do we get to know the truth? And as we come to the end of the series today, I want us to be sure. I want us to know that the conversations that we've looked at through the past few weeks have been more than just casual conversations. It's more than just choice. So it definitely hasn't been lying or exaggeration or embellishing, because each and every word that we've looked at has been the truth, because they're conversations surrounding who Jesus is. And if the truth is what we're after. Then we'll only find our answer when we turn our attention to Him. So, let's turn our attention to Scripture and see what we can discover. John chapter twenty eighteen. Uh, I can't remember the chapter. Anyway, you can follow along on the screen. Okay. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and asked them, "What charges do you bring against this man? If we were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have brought him over to you." Pilate said, "Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law." But we have no right to execute anyone. They objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews? Is this your own idea?" Jesus asked, "Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew?" Pilate replied, "Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done?" Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world." If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. You are king, then," said Pilate. Jesus replied, 
You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again. Now, before we get into the details, let's just get a bit of background foundation to the, in the context to what the passage is talking about this morning. This passage happens in the middle of what is sometimes known as the passion of Jesus, right? He is in his last hours before going to the cross. And in these last hours, a lot has happened. Jesus has spent some deeply personal and intimate time with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's had the last supper with them. He's prayed prayers of comfort over them and explained to them what's about to happen, that he is about to die. But he's also explained to them the dangers that lie ahead for them, the hatred, the risk they would face as followers in the days to come. He's been betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested by a group of soldiers, abandoned then by the rest of them, and Peter, one of his closest friends, has just denied him three times. He has then been mocked, slapped, and judged by the high priest. It's been a really difficult couple of hours. And this is where the story picks back up. And the Jewish leaders took him from the high priest, that's Caiaphas, to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So one thing we see throughout this series is consistently the tension between the religious leaders and Jesus, right? They're always trying to get him. They're always out to attack him. From the moment Jesus starts his ministry, many of the religious leaders are determined to do whatever they can to put a stop to him, right? To have him arrested, to ultimately kill him, stop this movement, um, you know, stop his followers and just be rid of Jesus once and for all. And in this moment, it seems like they're finally about to be successful, if there was a newspaper around at the time, the headline would have probably read something like, troublemaking false teacher finally apprehended, right? This was going to be their big moment. By the way, sidestep, the slides for this series have been amazing. I mean, Anshan has, um, Anshan has been our designer, and I've just really appreciated the creativity she's put behind the slides. So Anshan, if you're out there, if you're listening, thank you for your creativity to help bring these messages alive. But this would have been the title, right? They finally find Jesus where they want him. And Jesus finds himself under custody, face to face with a Roman governor, Pilate. This was the man who had the authority to decide his fate. And so from the perspective of the religious leaders, this was perfect. They have Jesus exactly where they want him. Finally, he's going to get what he deserves, Right? After all, this was the guy who flipped tables in the temple. This was the guy who was constantly breaking Sabbath rules. This was the guy who hung out with sinners and prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, Gentiles, all those kind of unclean people. And worst of all, this was the man who lied because he claimed to be one with God. They said he was out of his mind. They said he was the prince of demons. But this was far from the truth. Because the truth was that throughout his whole life, throughout his whole ministry, Jesus never sinned. 
The truth was that these religious leaders were the ones who were unable to see the truth because they were so bound up and blinded by their own judgmental and hypocritical hearts. You see, there's something really ironic happening here that John wants us to notice. He tells us that the religious leaders wanted to avoid ceremonial uncleanness So that's why they didn't enter the palace, because entering into a Gentile's home, which the um, pilot was, would have made them unclean. And because of that, they wouldn't have been able to eat the Passover. So they didn't go in to meet with Pilate, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. But do you see what's happening? Right, this Passover was one of the biggest celebrations in the Jewish calendar. Right, this is where the Israelites commemorate and celebrate God bringing them out of Exodus, right, bringing them out of slavery into freedom. And one of the key elements in the Passover in Egypt was when God asked them to sacrifice a lamb so that they would be kept safe. And the angel of death would pass over the homes that had the mark of the blood of the lamb. And since then, after every Passover, lambs were slaughtered and sacrificed in memory of what God had done for his people. So it's interesting, right? They wanted to be ceremonially clean, but at the same time in their hearts, they were planning to execute an innocent man. Right? In other words, they just wanted to look clean on the outside. Inside, though, they were planning for evil. They were willing to lie, to throw out false accusations, to condemn, but at the same time, claiming to want to worship God. Right? They were doing exactly what Jesus saw in them in the first place. Matthew 23, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And here's the irony. As the lambs were being prepared to be sacrificed in the temple for the Passover, they couldn't see that standing before them was the ultimate sacrifice, the most purest and innocent lamb without sin. And this time, his sacrifice wasn't just going to be leading the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was to lead the entire world out of sin and into freedom. But they weren't able to see it. See, hypocrisy is when we believe or claim to believe in the truth, but we live out a lie. And this is something we all need to be careful of because it's a trap that any one of us can very easily fall into, right? We want, to work, we want to come to church, we want to worship God, enjoy Christian fellowship, serve in the community, and all these things are good and great. But as we do these things, church, we have to ask ourselves, are our hearts in the right place? Because it's really, really easy to look good on the outside. Now, hopefully, most of us in this room aren't conspiring for murder and put innocent people to death, right? We're not going to that extreme. But this doesn't mean it's something that we can ignore. Because I think in our context, it works itself out in our everyday lives. And if we're not careful, I think we can very easily begin to live what I call a sort of like a a double life, right? Doing whatever we want during the week, getting a spiritual high on Sunday, feeling a little bit of remorse only to forget about it all again on Monday, rinse, repeat. 
I know this because my own experience was like this. For many years of my life, I really felt as though I was living two separate identities, right? And church on Sunday around my church friends, everyone thought I was doing great, right? I grew up in the church. My third language is Christianese, okay? So anytime someone asks you, you know, they, I knew exactly what to say. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, yes, you know, really plugged into my small group. You know, I'm really good at doing my QTs and all this kind of stuff. All the language. I knew what people wanted to hear and was able to pretend really, really well. But I know in my heart, on the inside, and how I live my life, it was far from God. And it was probably some of the most confusing and tiring seasons of my life. And I thought I could keep it up, but in truth, I was living a lie. Because the truth is, the truth is what Jesus is seeking is for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what, people, what Jesus is looking for is people who are willing to take a good look and do something about the log that is in their own eye. What Jesus is looking for is people who are willing to cut off the hand if that's what it takes for them to stop sinning. Not that we have to be perfect, right? It's not calling for that. But the only way, Scripture tells us, that we can seek and find God is when we do so with all our heart. So for some of us here, before we have a conversation with anyone else, maybe the first conversation you have to have today is with yourself. Are you claiming to love Jesus with your words and appearance, but in reality your heart is far from him? If this is you this morning, keep listening. Because maybe this is a wake-up call, a reminder to, me, to, to find out what it means to truly follow Jesus. So let's go back to the passage and see what it has to say. So Pilate came out and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If we were not a criminal, they said, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said then, so take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Right, so since they're being stubborn and they won't go in, Pilate has to come out. Now, Pilate, who was Pilate? Pilate was the governor of this area at the time. But he had a reputation for being a brute and a bully. Right? He had a reputation for being a man who wasn't afraid to use violence in order to bring order back into his jurisdiction. And he was the one with the authority to execute someone. It was the perfect opportunity. But what exactly has Jesus done wrong? Pilate wants to know, right, what charges are you bringing against this man? Right? There's a legal procedure that needs to happen here before we sentence him to death. And like we said, right, these people, the, the religious leaders, believe Jesus as a blasphemer, one who dared to put himself with equal footing with God, breaker of rules, a false teacher, son of the devil, all that kind of stuff. But Pilate doesn't care about these things, right? As far as he, in his mind, those things are just internal Jewish squabbles. You know, you just squash that yourself. You know, don't bring me into this. But they're insistent, and they say, if we were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Because this is one of those classic answers that tries to answer the question without really answering the question. You know, it's like when you ask, um, when I ask my wife, hey, how much did that dress cost? And she says something like, well, you know, it was on sale, right? Um, 
okay? That doesn't really tell me anything, okay? It's sort of what's happening here, right? They're trying to convince Pilate. Hey, if we can convince Pilate that this guy really is a rebel rouser, right? This guy's a subvert of the, of the Roman Empire, right? He's going to threaten your rule. He's going to bring instability to the province. Then maybe we can get him to sign off with our evil plans, right? So this was the way they thought they were going to convince Pilate. Only they have no real evidence, so they just throw out something really general, like, oh yeah, this guy is a criminal. Again, something very ironic is happening here. See, ultimately, what the Pharisees are trying to convince Pilate of is that Jesus is, a, is treasonous. He's committing treason. He's going against Caesar himself, and he's going to be a threat to this governor. But as they were accusing Jesus of treason they were also committing treason. Only it wasn't the earthly government that they were going against, but it was a going against God himself. But they're blind. They can't see it. But there's also one other thing they're blind to. You see, this whole time, religious leaders at the time think they're being sly. They think they're being clever. They think that, you know, this is the perfect plan they're carrying out. But the truth is this, the reality is that this, all this that's happening took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So, on the surface, it looks like Jesus is under arrest. On the surface, it looks like his fate has been sealed. He's been stripped of his power. On the surface, it looks as though Jesus is done for. But the truth is, everyone involved in this story are just players living out, acting what God has already said. They just don't realize it. And the truth is, despite of what things look like, Jesus is in full control of the situation. In fact, Jesus could have put a stop to this at any moment, right? In Matthew, he says, in Matthew 26, he says, don't you think that I can't call on my father and at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels would come to my side? But then how would scripture be fulfilled to say that it must happen this way? In talking about death also, Jesus had once said, just said, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up. This is what Jesus was talking about, that it had to happen in this way. Now, to understand this, we need to, again, go back to the Exodus. Right? In the Exodus, after the um, Israelites left Egypt and they were wandering around in the desert, the Israelites were constantly failing into the habit of complaining against God, complaining against Moses, turning to idols, saying things like, "Ah, oh, it was so much better when we were back in Egypt. Why did you lead us out here to die in the wilderness? And as a result, every now and then, God would have to send punishment to remind them of their wrongdoing in turning to idols and complaining against him. And one of, the, uh, one of the punishments that God sent was quite weird and quite unique, right? He sent poisonous snakes into the camp, right? And people started getting bitten by these poisonous snakes, and they would die. And as this was happening, the Israelites would realize their sin. And once again, they called on God for help. And in order to save them, God told Moses to do this. He told Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So then Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. 
Then anyone, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Jesus is living out this prophecy here because in the same way, Jesus knows that in a little while, like the bronze snake was going to be hoisted up, he too was going to be hoisted up. Only it wasn't on a bronze pole. Jesus was going to be hoisted up on the cross. And just as the Israelites received life when they looked at the bronze snake in the desert, anyone who would look up toward Jesus on the cross and have faith in his healing would too receive life. All this to say, none of this was happening by accident. Pastor Promise talked about this last week, but I wanted to really be dwelling in our minds, church. Remember this well. The truth is that Jesus is always in control. Jesus is always in control. Even as these men worked together to plot injustice and evil, God was going to work all of this to bring about the destruction of sin and darkness. Even what people planned for evil, God was going to use it for good. This is, excuse me, this is why Jesus is so confident as he continues to be grilled and to be questioned. He never wavers. Pilate goes back inside the palace. He summons Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Is this your own idea, asked Jesus, or did others tell you about me? I'm not, am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? You know, when I read the Bible, sometimes I like to insert myself into the stories. And in, in this section of Scripture, I always wonder, you know, what was Pilate thinking as he looked at Jesus? Because as he sees this man standing before him, right, Jesus at this point probably looking kind of feeble, kind of weak, a man whose followers have left him high and dry. What possible, in what possible realm of imagination could this guy be a king? So what Pilate's really asking is this, right? Who are you? Who are you? Like, people say you're this, people say you're that. Who are you? Are you here to make trouble for me? Are you really going to be a threat to my power? Like, who are you? Who is this man that's standing in front of me? And in true fashion, Jesus answers his question with another question. Is this your own idea, Jesus says? What did others tell you to talk about me? You see, Jesus answers this way because I think he knows Pilate's heart. In other words, as Pilate is asking Jesus, who are you? Jesus is asking Pilate, do you really want to know? Like, is that question really coming from your heart? Do you really want to know who I am? Because if you do, if Pilate is genuinely interested, like the woman at the well, like the woman caught in adultery, like the Canaanite woman, Jesus was ready to tell him who exactly he was. And Pilate is being offered the same opportunity here. But let me also turn this question to us this morning. Maybe it's a question you have, we have to ask ourselves. Do you know who Jesus is? Have you really asked that question? Jesus, who are you? And in your thinking about Jesus, maybe you've seen Jesus as a threat to your lifestyle. 
Maybe it seems like Jesus is here to dictate how you live your life, right? To, to derail your plans, to threaten the authority you have over your own life right now. And I know this is a stumbling block for many to fully give the life to Jesus because maybe you're in a good place. Things are going well, and to invite Jesus into the equation seems like it's going to be a threat to how you live your life. But I'm going to ask you again, because how you answer this question will 100% have an effect on how your life turns out, how you live your life. Do you really want to know who Jesus is? Or are you seeking Jesus for some other reason? Maybe your parents force you to. Maybe your spouse drags you to church every week and say, come on, let's just go. Okay, fine, I'll go. Maybe there's someone you're interested in that's a Christian and you're here just to, you know, trying to get to know them a little bit better. Maybe you come to church because you like the music and we have a good kids program. There could be a whole bunch of reasons why we come in the name to, to church and to seek Jesus. And, we, and, you know, we, we love you, God loves you, and we're so glad you're here. But you're being challenged here today to check your hearts and motives and be honest before God. And if you've never seriously asked yourself this question, or you're in a place where you need a good reminder, then perhaps today is the day you open up yourself to Him. Let me ask us again. Do you really want to know who Jesus is? Well, let me try and help us out a little bit. Because knowing the truth to this question, like I said, is not only going to change your life, it's going to have the most amazing impact on your life now and forevermore. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my foot servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus finally tells Pilate plainly who he is. Yes, I am a king. I am a king. Jesus has a kingdom, but his kingdom isn't like the sort of kingdom that he has in mind. Jesus' kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom isn't one that's been secured by war, violence, political maneuvering, like earthly kingdoms are. You see, in that time, this, this is how kingdoms were won, right? Through violence, through power, through control, through defeating the enemy with your army. But Jesus has always been adamant that this is not what I'm about, not that he's not capable to fight. We said just now he was very capable of that. He could dominate easily in that way if he wanted to. But the kingship and kingdom of Jesus was going to be like nothing this world has ever seen. So how does this play in our context? Well, we, we don't really live in land ruled by kings and queens. But we, other things do rule our lives and our culture. And other forces attempt to exert similar control over our lives. So what do our kingdoms look like? Our kingdoms are ruled by our own comfort, the love of money and power and popularity. Our kingdoms are dictated by our own selfish desires. Our kingdoms appeal to our senses and say it's okay to follow the lust of your eyes, the desires of your flesh. 
Our kingdoms tell us you only live once, so just go and do whatever you want to do. Our kingdoms tell us that there are many ways to know the truth, that you are the captain of your destiny. But Jesus says, my kingdom is from a different place. My kingdom functions differently because it's not of this world. It's for this world. And my kingdom is here to show you that we don't have to be enslaved by these things that we just talked about. Jesus says, my kingdom is the kingdom of truth. And because I am king, and because my kingdom is represented by truth, if you want to know the truth, listen to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out. Unfortunately, it was only a half-hearted rhetorical question. And every time I get to this part in the passage, what is truth? I can't help but to feel like a twinge of sorrow for Pilate. Because here he is, face to face with Jesus, with every opportunity to find out the definition of what truth was. And yet he fails to feel it. He fails to experience it. He fails to understand it. He fails to believe in it. And he walks away. But like I said, today might be the day for you. And if today you found yourself asking that question, if God's speaking to your heart, do not walk away. Because here's the truth. The truth is this. The truth is that you were not made for this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, but you were created for the kingdom of Jesus. The truth is that Jesus loves you. He doesn't condemn you for the things that you yourself are not proud of. And the truth is Jesus wants to change your life for the better. He wants to give you a testimony so that you can proclaim what he has done to other people. The truth is that everyone, everyone is welcome in the family of God. And God will never discriminate against you no matter who you are. The truth is that God is with you. Even as you have to go and fight through the most horrible and darkest of times, God is with you. And the truth is God is also with us as we struggle through trials and temptations. God is there to lead us and to guide us. The truth is that God is with you through it all and that he works all things for your good. And the truth is that Jesus came into this world because he loves you to die for your sins, to bear the punishment that we couldn't bear so we too can have a place in Jesus' kingdom. The truth is, church, there's only one way to live that will leave you truly fulfilled. And that's through listening, obeying, and loving Jesus. You see, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, you'll find the truth is not some sort of far-fetched philosophical concept. It's not religious stories made up to scare you to behave better. It's not the strongest opinion or the loudest voice. It's not a method or a scientific formula. The truth is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And salvation and freedom are found in Him and Him alone. There's a very precious gift that we have here, church. If you know Jesus, you hold the truth within you. And this is the truth that everyone is looking for. Everyone needs to hear this. And since we have it, we've been told to share it, to declare it. For conversations of truth is what this world truly needs. So I pray 
If you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you're following the truth, continue to blow water in his name and let more people know about who he is. But perhaps you're in this room today and his truth is something you once held near. But for whatever reasons, you've lost sight of it. And you started going on your own path. And somewhere along the way, you've got a bit lost and it's, it's hard for you to know what the truth is anymore. Today might be the time for you to find it again. To believe again. To come back to the path that Jesus has set before you. To talk to Jesus again and hear that familiar voice of love calling out your name. And maybe for some of us in this room, this is the first time you're hearing about this. And maybe God's been speaking to you. You felt, you know, something in your heart, in your mind, and you say, yes, actually, this is what I've been seeking for. This is what I've been longing for. This is what I've been needing in my whole life. I've never heard it like this, or I've never understood it like this, but I've heard Jesus speak to me, and your heart is changing, your mind is changing. I want you to know that that's not me speaking to you. That's Jesus. Because he wants you to know the truth. And he's been waiting. He's been ready. His love has been there for you all this time. To bring you out of the darkness into the light. To truly show you what your life on this earth is about. To give meaning and purpose and hope to your life. So I wonder, church, if we could just close our eyes for a second and just take a moment to think, where are you in this journey? You know, there's so many different things in this, of this world that distract us. And it is easy to start putting our faith in other things. It is easy to go astray and follow another voice instead. And it is a long journey sometimes of just seeking and seeking and trying to find the truth and the meaning of why am I on this earth? And is there a God that really loves me? wherever we are in this journey. The true destination for every person that's ever walked on this earth. What you were created for was a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's the only true way to live. And so, Father, wherever our hearts are, I pray that you would lead us towards you. And Jesus, I pray especially for those who are maybe making that decision for the first time today to lay everything else down, to lay down their own plans and things which they thought were right and they thought were true.
that they would respond to your voice. They would listen to you and join the side of truth, join the side of life, join the side of light, join the side of love, because that's where you are, Lord. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you are for us and not against us. Help us to hear, to see, to follow the truth. And that's you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.